Good morning. Glad to be with you guys this morning. Got a quick question uh, as we get started this morning, and the question is this. Do we have any road trippers in the room? Like, you enjoy a good road trip. Like, you enjoy getting behind the wheel, getting some good road trip food, and going on road trips. Okay. I, I, I am a big road tripper. I'll tell you a secret. Well, it's not really a secret, but, but it's a safe place, so I'll tell you this. I do not like to fly. I think I've told you that before. I am not a fan of flying. I will pick a road trip over a plane trip any day. Anybody else want to confess that this morning? All right, amen. A couple people, a couple people will confess that and read you in later on. Um, but I like going on, going on road trips. And I remember a handful of years ago, it was a little bit longer than a handful of years, I, I, a buddy of mine, we got in the car and we decided we were going to drive to Colorado. We were going to go skiing. So we drove to Colorado, got there, had some Red Bulls and, and made it. Uh, all the way to Colorado, and then we, we did, our, did our thing, did our skiing trip, and then got in the car, and we were going to drive back home. I believe we were going to go a different route, or we were trying to go a different route, and um, this was before, I know a lot of you in this room can relate, and that's okay, this was before the invention of this guy. So before this guy, there was two things that you would do. You would get on the computer if you were lucky enough to have, have one, and you would go to MapQuest. Anybody ever print out directions from MapQuest? You go there. Or you have one of these. Let me show you this one, a map. <laughs> Some people, has anybody in this room has never used a map before? All right. Um, but you would get a map, and you would get a highway map. So you would get this thing out the day before you were going to leave, and you would look at all the, the routes, and you'd go, man, this, you know, I've never been this way before, but it looks like it's a shorter way. When I take the string or take my, my pinky nail, it looks like a shorter way. So my buddy and I had a map, and we said, hey, we're going to drive back home from Denver uh, or wherever we were back to Dallas. So we kind of mapped out our thing, got in the car, got going down the road, and we started talking. We drove through the day, got into the evening, we started seeing mountains. I was like, man, I don't remember, I don't remember there being mountains like this in, in, in Texas, you know? And so we pulled, you know, you, and you don't have a phone, so you can't just hit the GPS button and see a little dot on the map of where you are. You have to kind of look at this thing, try to figure out the cities that are around you based on the last city that you remember seeing and kind of plot your course. So we found this little gas station in the middle of nowhere, went to the gas station, asked the guy, hey, man, we, can you help us? on this map, figure out where in the world we are. And the guy points to the map. He's like, hey, you're not even in, you're in New Mexico. It's like, New Mexico? Like how, like it's really bad when you're lost. It's really bad when you're way more lost than you even thought. And so the guy gave us, he gave us a little course direction. He said, hey, you want to get on this road, do this, jet over here, and then you're going to be back on, back on track. He, he had to kind of help us recalibrate. And I think it's important on a trip to know where we are on a trip, so that when we get knocked off course, we're not surprised, we can recalibrate, we can get back on course. And likewise, in our Christian journey, in our Christian journey, it's important to know what lies ahead, so that as we move forward in this journey of our faith, we don't get surprised or uh, confused, discouraged, or maybe even worse, thrown off course by the events that we encounter along the way. So if you're in this room this morning and you're a follower of Christ, you are on a journey this morning. You are on a discipleship journey. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at our map. We're going to take a look at the thing for us that never changes, which is God's word. And we're going to see a couple things. We're going to sort of recalibrate this morning. We're going to see one, a call that never changes, a call, a call, I'm sorry, a call that changes everything. 
a, co- a commission worth living for, and a consequence to be ready for. A call that changes everything, a commission worth living for, and a consequence to be ready for. If you have your Bible, grab it, open it up to Mark chapter 1, or if you have a phone, open it up to Mark chapter 1. And the very first thing here we're going to see is a call that changes everything. You're going to see a pattern in Mark's gospel here, especially in this first uh, chapter of Mark. If you know a lot about the book of Mark, if you know much about the book of Mark, the book of Mark really is a call to discipleship. You know, these gospels were meant to be read out loud in one sitting, and they would read these stories, they would read these narratives out loud, and the book of Mark has a really fast pace to it. You're going to see right within the first chapter of Mark, Jesus call people to something, and it's going to be a race to the cross. I mean, these guys are going to be trucking along in a race to discipleship to the cross. And, these, and, and the question is going to be, are these guys going to follow me all the way? Are they going to follow me all the way to the cross? And so you're going to see these patterns in this book of Mark. And I'm going to show you one of these patterns. And the pattern is a call, a commission, and a consequence. And here we go. The very first one we see is John's call. That, that's, I think Blake might have talked about that last week, but verse Two, it says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. And this is a quotation from the Old Testament about John the Baptizer. It's a prophecy prophesied, prophesizing the one who would come and prepare the way for Jesus. He was, John was specifically called before the foundations of the earth to have a unique role that he would prepare the way for Jesus. He was called to prepare the way for Jesus. Then we skip a little bit further, and in verse 10, we see the call of Jesus, really. Uh, It says this, it says, um, And when he came up, he being Jesus, out of the water, immediately he, Jesus, saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice came from the heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. See, the baptism of Jesus marks the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And what you see in this picture right here briefly is, is this uh, reaction of God the Father. You see the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you really see this Trinitarian um, credentialing of the King Jesus, who is qualified to lead in a very unique way. So you really see a very cool picture. If someone ever asks you about the Trinity, you see it right here. You see the Father saying, This is my son whom I'm pleased with. You see the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove, and then you see the son himself. It's a very awesome picture of the Trinity there. So you see that John's call, you see Jesus' call, and then in verse 16 you see the disciples' call. It says this, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of man. Skip down to verse 20. It says, and immediately he called them, or I'm sorry, verse 19. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat. And immediately he called them and they left their father in the boat with the servants and they followed Jesus. See, Jesus was different than the other rabbis in Jesus' day. You know, rabbis at that time, the way it would work, what would happen is, is they didn't call people to their self. Rabbis didn't call people. The way that it would work is if you had a rabbi that you go, man, this is a really awesome rabbi. I'd really like to learn from this rabbi. What you would do is you would go find that rabbi. You would go to that rabbi and you would ask him, hey, I, I, I really want to be one of your disciples. I want to be one of your disciples. And he would either choose to let you 
be one of his disciples or not to let you be one of his disciples. And if he did allow you to become one of his disciples, you didn't follow him personally. Rather, you followed his teachings. That's what you did. You followed the rabbi's teaching. You studied under him, basically. In other words, you weren't following him as much as you was following his interpretation of the law, the Old Testament law. And so when Jesus called the disciples, he called them to follow him. This is, this is pretty radical. If you were tr- back in this day, you would go, this is pretty crazy. The rabbi is calling people to follow him. This was not a call to follow some sort of crazy religion or some way of life. This was a call for the disciples to literally follow Jesus, to go on a discipleship journey with Jesus. You see, Christianity is primarily about a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible contains lots of wisdom, lots of teaching, lots of really good proverbs, but if you take Jesus out of any of that, you don't have Christianity. You have something totally different. Jesus Christ is the central point of our faith. And so when Jesus asked the disciples to follow him, he wasn't so much talking about the following of their feet, which that did happen. He was talking about the following of their heart, that they would, by faith, follow this rabbi, this one, Jesus. See, but following Jesus always has a cost. Following Jesus always has a cost. The disciples give up everything that was familiar with them. Think about that. This was their job. This is what they did every day. They were fishermen. This was the family business. This was their lineage. They grew up in a family of fishermen. And so to follow Jesus, they gave it all up. They gave away everything that was familiar to them. They gave away the family business. They gave away their family ties, even their plans for the future. Think about it. They probably thought, man, one day I'm going to own my dad's boat. One day I'm going to own the fishing company. I'm going to have all this to myself. They give all that away to follow Jesus. You see, following Jesus is, is actually a whole series of leaving things behind. You know, following Jesus really is just a bunch of one after another of leaving things behind. And so the question as we get started this morning is, what might God be calling you to leave behind? What might God this morning be calling you to leave behind as you follow him on a discipleship journey? See, but God also calls us to follow him. The same call Jesus made to the disciples, he calls us to. He calls us not to follow the watermark way or some religion or doing a bunch of really good stuff, he calls us to follow him by faith. Look at verse 15. It says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know, the word repent is this idea that we're going one way in life and then we stop and we turn and we go another way. And in this context here, it's really talking about going from unbelief to belief. That you would go from one way of thinking to another way of thinking about belief. And then he follows it right there with the gospel. The word gospel really is just good news. And to understand why the gospel is good news, you first have to understand the bad news. And the bad news is that all of us in this room are sinners, right? And if you're here today and you were invited by a guest, guess what? You're a sinner. We're all sinners. The guy up here singing music, he's a sinner. The guy here teaching, the biggest sinner. 
We're all sinners, and our sin has separated us from God. And there's no amount of Bible studies. There's no amount of joining the journeys we can read. There's nothing we can do to ever be made right with God. That's the bad news. But the good news is the Bible says that God was aware of that. And he said, man, the only way, the only thing I can do to make people that are wicked right with me is to somehow pay for their sin. And so he sent Jesus to earth and said, hey, I'm going to put all your sin on this one guy who's not really a guy. He's the son of God. He will absorb all your sin on the cross. He'll be murdered. Three days later, he'll be risen from the dead. And because of that, the wrath of God is satisfied. And so God calls all of us, first of all, to believe in Jesus, to put our trust in Jesus. This is good news. You know, Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, for the first 20 years, 23 years really of my life, the only kingdom that I knew about was Rick's kingdom. You know, I sort of had my own kingdom. I don't know if anybody in this room this morning can relate to that. I, was, I had my own kingdom. I was the king of that kingdom, and everything that I did revolved around me. I didn't really care about other people. I didn't really care about the feelings of other people. I didn't care about the consequences of my actions. I didn't care about what one choice was going to do to somebody else. I was, the, I was the king of my own mini kingdom. And then by God's grace, he came into my kingdom, and he said, man, Rick, your kingdom is a mess. You're a horrible king, Rick. And he came into my life, and he began to change things around, and he began to become the king of my kingdom. He became the king. It was his kingdom. And when Jesus came into my life, he changed it, and for the better. And so I'm here today to ask you if your life, if the little kingdom that you set up for yourself is a mess, if you go, man, Rick, you don't know my mess. You know, you don't know how big of a mess I've made my little kingdom. I got good news. Jesus has good news for you. There's no mess in this room big enough that God can't come in and begin to unravel it, begin to clean up your mess. God is in the business of cleaning up messes. And so if you're in this room and you feel like your life is a mess, then, man, there is great hope for you in the gospel. His kingdom is better than ours. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, this morning would be a great time to do it. But not only does he call us, he gives us a commission worth living for. Let me show you John's commission Verse 3 says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So you see, John, like we said earlier, he was specifically called by God to do something unique with his life, to prepare the way for Jesus. That's what John the baptizer was called to do. He was to prepare the way for Jesus. We talked about Jesus' commission in verse 14 and 15. He came proclaiming the gospel of God. So John had a commission, Jesus had a commission, the disciples had a commission. Again, verse 17, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, Jesus took the disciples and he gave them a unique role to leave everything behind and change their perspective on life. The disciples went from spending their days thinking about how to catch more fish to spending their days thinking about how they could help more people come to know Jesus. They, they spent, they, they, they had a complete shift in their reality. They went from thinking about what can I do to benefit me to what can I do to help others benefit from what Christ has to offer. Do you see the shift? When they met Jesus, everything about their motives, their way of life, everything changed as they did this, as they joined Jesus on this journey of discipleship. You see, God called the disciples to an even greater purpose. I'm sure the disciples woke up and they said, man, we're awesome fishermen. 
Man, we, we, we're one of the, some of the best fishermen. This is really great. And then Jesus comes along, and he has a funny way of going, hey, you know what you do that you think is really great? I'm going to call you to something even greater. I'm going to call you to a legacy even greater than you can be. And likewise, God calls us to a commission. He calls us to be fishers of men. He calls us to go about our days thinking about how we can help other people know about Jesus. And this doesn't mean that you're to quit your job, I don't think, and go into full-time ministry. Because let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, you are in full-time ministry. Do you understand? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you are in full-time ministry. You are a pastor. You are a minister. That is your job. And you need to maybe look at your life like this. If you're in sales, you're not a salesman who just happens to be a Christian. You understand? You're a Christian disguised as a salesman. You understand? If you're a banker, you're a Christian disguised as a banker. If you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer, you're a Christian disguised as a lawyer. See, the problem is we don't always think like this. We're always, we're often so caught up in the next thing that we miss the thing that Jesus wants us to do today. We're often caught up in the next thing God has for us, the next thing our business has for us, the next promotion that we want to get, that we miss out on what God wants to do with us when we live faithfully today. And you have to be on the lookout. You have to be on the lookout for this. You understand? This stuff just doesn't come natural to us because we're selfish with our time, me especially. It's awkward to have to have a conversation with someone about Jesus. You don't want to look like the weirdo at your office. You know, recently a girl in our community group, she, she sent our, our community group a text message. She said, hey, can you pray? Can you pray for me? Yeah, always, always will pray for people. And she said, hey, so I developed a friendship with the banker, with the teller at my bank. I found out she was a Mormon, so I invited her over to my house for coffee. Can you pray for that conversation? My first thing was like, yes, I'll pray. My second thing was like, man, I'm like really convicted now. I don't even know my teller. I go to the thing. I've never taken the time to build a relationship with my bank teller. And here I'm thinking about this mom who's busy with kids. Her husband's at work. She's at home. She's busy. But yet she takes the time to build a relationship with her Mormon bank teller and invites her over to her house for coffee so that she can build a relationship with her that would hopefully translate into the gospel. That's amazing. And you have to be on the lookout. That stuff doesn't come natural. It doesn't come natural. So I want to encourage you quickly with this, that as you leave today, that you would ask God, or even in your groups today, that you would ask God to prayerfully help you become aware of the details of your life. That you would begin to pray prayers like this, God, help me to see what you might have me do today. Maybe just that simple prayer. God, help me to see what you might have me to do today, how I might can be faithful today. You know, and you want to just start thinking about things like this. Who your waiter is at lunch. Look, I, I don't want to get just super spiritual on everything here, but, man, I think God works in really crazy ways. And I think sometimes people go to lunch and the waiter goes to lunch and God's like, hey, I need you to talk to this waiter about me today. Maybe it's the person next to you at work that has the office or the cubicle. And they just need you to go in there and share Jesus with them. You know, I had a, a friend that I work with at Watermark, and he was sharing his story recently with us, and he said he became a believer. 
he, he'd worked for this company, this sales company, and he'd worked there a number of years, and he became a believer. And after he became a believer, people came up to him, and they said, hey, man, you, you should check out this sermon or this pastor, or here's a really good book you should read. And he goes, man, that's really awesome. But the thing that he thought was where were all these people all these years that he was living a life apart from Christ, and why did none of those people ever share the gospel with him? That's convicting. And there are people in your work, there, there are people that, you're going to be in meetings with today, and you're going to be the only glimpse of Christ that they see. And God's calling you to be ready for that. Are you ready? Now, here's the last part. You've been called. You've been given a commission. But there's also a consequence to be ready for. You see, as Christians, there will be consequences for following Jesus. You know, this, this is the part of the Christian journey that some pastors, some um, tele-evangelists leave out when they're talking about the Christian faith. I, I lived in Houston, and I worked at a church in Houston, First Baptist Church, Houston. It's an awesome church. And there was another church in town that was a bigger church than ours, a lot bigger church than ours. And, I, and I've I heard along the way that some of the messages at this church were things like this, that if you trusted Christ, overall things will be pretty good for you. If you trust Christ, you, you'll be healthy. If you trust Christ, your bank account will be nice. If you trust Christ... Things will seem to go your way. That, that's not biblical. Do you understand? That, that's not Christian. Look at this, verse 114. John again. Now after John was arrested, yet it's only five words. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. John was arrested. If you know much more about the story, later on, he, he, he's murdered. He's murdered for faithfully following Jesus. They, they kill him. Jesus also, verse 931 says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands and they will kill him. Jesus was murdered. Andrew, the guy that they called earlier, he went and shared the gospel into now what we know as the Soviet Union. And he was crucified there. Peter, who we just read about, Simon Peter, he was martyred in Rome under Nero. He was crucified, you can read that in Acts, upside down because he said, hey, I'm not even worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. James was executed. All but one of the disciples were murdered. There's a consequence for following Jesus. You understand? There will be a consequence. And I, it would be a miss. It would be, it would be unloving for me to just say, hey, man, God wants to use you. Go out today at lunch and share the gospel without warning you that there's going to be a consequence for following Jesus. People will misunderstand you. People will ridicule you. You, you will be an anomaly. The Bible says an alien in your workplace. People will think you are weird at work. You, you may even lose a promotion because of your integrity, that you do things by the book, that when tax season comes, man, you're, you're ready for an audit. There's no awkwardness for sharing your taxes. You, you have integrity. You see, or life may punch you in the gut even harder. I remember for me specifically, you may have heard this story before, if you've been around me, is that a little over five years ago, we had our first son. I was in seminary. I was working at a church, doing student ministry. My marriage was going well. All in all, my Christian life, I thought was pretty good. And so we, we were going to have our first son, and all the sonograms were really good. And we went to dinner at this Mexican restaurant. I remember praying with my sweet wife and just thanking God for all these really great sonograms. And, and 
about three hours after our son was born, our pediatrician came in and said, hey, you know that your son Noah has features that are consistent with trisomy 21. I said, what, what in the world, what is that? I said, man, you, you know, Down syndrome, your son has Down syndrome. And I felt like I got punched directly in the heart. I, I didn't see that coming. That was a twist in my story that I never saw coming. I'm faithful. I'm in seminary. I, I go to, I work at a church. And see, God had a different, twist to my story. Here's a picture of Noah. That's just shortly after he was born. And it was a twist in my story. Have you ever been there before? You didn't see it coming. Life knocked the wind out of you. If you haven't, be warned. Be warned. Um, You see, when you follow Christ, oftentimes God's plan for your life, if you don't know this already, is different than the plan that you have for your life. He knows everything going on. He's active. You know, um, here we are now a little over five years into Noah's journey. And I can tell you today with complete integrity that this little boy, apart from being married to my wife and coming to Christ, is one of the best things that has ever happened in our life. That he has a ministry that has reached millions of people, literally, I'm not exaggerating, all over the globe about the cause of pro-life. God has used that boy in ways that five years ago I would have never been able to imagine. So you never know what God has in store. John Piper says this. He said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. You see, not only may you only see a fraction of what God's doing in your life, get this, the part that you do see may make no sense to you at all. The part that God lets you see may make no sense to you at all today. Um, You may find yourself in prison, and God may be advancing the gospel amongst the guards. See also Philippians 12. You may find yourself with a dead brother that Jesus could have healed and God may be preparing you to show his glory. See also John 11. You may find yourself sold into slavery, falsely accused of sexual abuse, forgotten in a prison, and God may be preparing you to rule a nation. See also Genesis 37. You may walk through famine, be driven from your home, lose your husband and sons, and be left desolate with one foreign daughter-in-law and God may be making you an ancestor of a king. See also Ruth. See, all that to say is that God is faithful. God is faithful, guys, and you can trust him in this journey of discipleship. So one last question as we wrap up. How do we walk faithfully with God? How do we walk faithfully with God on this discipleship journey? We've been called. We've been commissioned. God wants us to do something today. There's probably going to be a consequence to us following Jesus. So what do we do? Let me give you just three quick things. One, abide with God. This sounds so simple. But it's so true. It's the basics, the blocking, the tackling, the catching. You abide with God. You spend time in his word. If you're anything like me, then this is hard. I I have a hard time sitting still. I'm just being honest with you. It's hard. But you've got to. You've got to find a way to connect with God. Maybe for you it's the audio Bible. And you go, man, I just want to go on a walk. I want to listen to God's word. I want to pray. That's okay. Maybe for you, you like to go to the park. And you'd like to spend time journaling. Maybe you're a journaler. Maybe you like to take your Bible. Guess what? Like, I think Adam Tarno said at service the other week, God doesn't have office hours. You know, maybe you want to spend time with God like I do after your kids are in bed at the end of the day. That's your time. That's okay. But you have to spend time to walk with God. You cannot live life on an empty tank. You cannot live life on the fumes of someone else. The Christian life can only be lived as you fill yourself up in God's word. So how are you doing It's spending time with God's word. And then the other piece, what's equally important, is to walk with others. 
you know, the Christian life isn't meant to be lived alone. I, and I thought I had a good understanding of this until I came to Watermark. You know, I, I had friends. I, I was in a Sunday school class. Um, but, man, since, since I've been at Watermark almost a little over three years, going on four years, I mean, my life has been drastically changed by being in community. To be in with guys that I meet with every single week as much as we can and said, hey, can I share with you the anxiety that I have? Can I share with you my struggles? Can I share with you what I'm thinking about? Can I share with you how I snapped at my wife this week and I was a jerk? I need you to encourage me. I need you to remind me. I need you to admonish me. And so that's hard for us guys because we're independent. But let me ask you, how are you doing about letting people in your life? You know, you're about to go to a group in a second. How are you going to do in that group? Are you going to clam up and when it gets to you, hey, how can we pray for you? You're going to be the guy that goes, hey, man, just, uh, man, just, just, you know, just pray for energy. You know, are you going to go, hey, man, I really do have some serious prayer requests. And are you going to share them? That, that, that's on you. But how are you doing it? Walking with others and then third, know it's coming. First Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as though something strange was happening to you. In summary, trials are going to happen. We're all on a journey of discipleship, and we've been called by God. I went in with this quick story. There once was a man who lived in northeast India. He and his family, his entire family, uh, converted to Christianity. He and his wife converted to Christianity, and this was the middle of the 19th century. He was called to denounce his faith by the village chief. The village chief said, hey, I want you to to denounce Jesus. You cannot worship Jesus. You have to renounce your faith. And he said, I'm not going to do it. I have decided to follow Jesus. There were more threats. The the village chief threatened him even more. In fact, they they murdered his wife. And as they were murdering him, he said this. he He said, the cross before me and the world behind me. And the story goes that as a result of that man's faith, that, it, that village chief, the very one who killed him, who had him killed, and many in that village came to faith in Christ, and they took that man's words and made it into a hymn that you might have heard before. The lyrics go like this, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though I may wander, I will still follow No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have by your grace called us. And I pray for any friend in this room this morning that they have come in here and they don't know you. And they go, man, I've never put my trust in Jesus. I pray that today would be the morning where they go, hey, I just want to talk to you about that. I'm not sure that I've ever done that. And this would be the morning they put their faith in you. I pray for friends here that know you. I pray that you would give us strength to be on commission, to to be on mission for you today, to look for opportunities on this discipleship journey to be faithful. And then I pray for friends in this room that are going through a trial right now. And even as I read those words, they go, man, I, I'm in a trial right now. I pray you would comfort them by the Holy Spirit. You promise you'll do that. And I pray you would do that this morning. I pray for this group time. I pray it'd be fruitful. I pray that guys would be able to be vulnerable with one another, trusting one another. Maybe guys that have never done that in their life. This would be the morning to go, hey, you know, I'm just going to be honest today. And, and Father, we... We thank you for the grace that comes through Jesus alone. And pray this in Christ's name, amen.